We're in the Kintec studio on Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here on this Friday. Happy Friday to you and yours. You know what Friday means, Sat? Mailback time. That's right. I know uh, at least one of our listeners is uber thrilled to hear the mailbag music. I'm riding high. Yeah. <laughs> I got a compliment on the music. Woo! Yeah. Josh the- is the is our, uh, our unsung hero behind the scenes. He is. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can be the unsung hero, unlike JT Miller that year, which was a strange pick, but... <laughs> he was very sung that year. <laughs> he definitely sung. was sung. But the problem was, how much more could you sing about other players? So. <laughs> there was too much sung about other players that Miller wasn't sung enough, so he became unsung. Uh, okay, stop. Okay, we're going to start with questions now. <laughs> yep. Uh, the first one from Trevor. If the team continues to lose games, what kind of panic move seems likely? Roster shakeup, coaching change. What would it take for ownership to allow management to sell at the trade deadline and build assets for the future? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think as much as I don't believe it's going to happen, I think the most likely thing if things go absolutely off the rails to lose 10 in a row or something or 11 in a row probably would be the coach. Yeah. Because, I mean, a trade's not easy to make. Not this early in the season, no. No. And that's and I don't see them. There is more at stake for you making a panic trade than firing a coach who doesn't have another year on his contract. Now, with the ownership and everything, they didn't want to fork the money. It becomes tough. But I don't see any possibilities being very likely at the moment. But if they were to do something to answer the question, I want to give an answer. I still say it is the coach because that's the one thing you could do. So... The coach is is the most uh, like if things really continue to go off the rails. Yeah, the coach is the most immediate change you can make. Everybody knows that. That's the way hockey has been forever. That's the way professional sports has been forever. So it's unfortunate to say, but it is the truth when it comes to these sorts of things. As far as trades go, if this season goes sideways, I, I find it hard to believe that the Canucks wouldn't move off of. They're pending UFAs, right? Like, you could get something for Shen. You could get something, I would imagine, for even Burroughs. Should it come down to that towards the deadline? I can't believe we're talking about this five games in. But the big one is going to be the decision on, on Bo Horvat, yeah. right? And, you but know. That's, yeah, but that's like not, not shake up moves, you know? Yeah. That's like. Hey, you got to make a decision here close to Christmas, and you try to go one way or the other. I, I, I guess the wild card would be is is the one that Jeff Merrick continues to bring up in that the Canucks haven't like they they've got until next off season before the uh, no move clause kicks in for J T Miller. I mean, sure, anything is possible if things keep going sideways. But I mean, if J T is not playing well, then yeah, if J T is still playing this way through game fifty, like who's trading for him? Well, that's the thing. So I just, <laughs> you know? I just listen. I, I love trades. I love to see trades. Just yeah, not expecting anything right now. Just trying to be real with the uh, listener. Appreciate the question as always, though. Thank you. Speaking of Miller, we are about to enter the Miller section of the questions. <laughs> By the way, we have like a hundred today. Yeah, it's uh, it it's was, a lot of questions. It's so well, we're not going to get to yeah. all of them. It was hard to uh, pare them down down this yes. time. Yes. Yeah. So if you had a good question, I'm sorry, we might not might not get to it. 
But this one from Arpon. Do your sources believe Francesco Aquilini played a role in the JT Miller signing, or was that a decision made by an autonomous management group? I've asked around by this, and I'm reported that, well, reported and just said what I've heard asking around when the signing was done, that it was completely a management decision. Ownership signed off on it. But my understanding, the information I have, and hey, I'm not saying all the information I have is the absolute truth and nobody else knows anything else or whatever, but I can only give answers to what I know. And every time I've asked, and I've asked people that would know, that I trust, have told me it's a management call on JT Miller. Now, was the owner happy to keep JT? I think so. But I don't think it was, from my understanding, yeah. is, it wasn't a situation where ownership said, you guys have to sign him, and they acquiesced. Well, I, I imagine in most organizations, you're signing a contract of that size. An owner is uh, going to have, of course, uh, uh, you know, at least uh, is going to have to write off on it or, uh, you know, one of those types of things. But this is something we talked about going all the way back to the lead up to the trade deadline last year on Canuck Central with us. Management, one of the first things they identified here, Sat, was... This guy is a real leader on this team. And, yeah, it coincided with Miller having the best year of his career, but it also speaks to something you mentioned a lot last year. As, as bad as things got, as down as things were, Miller was sort of always a trying to be an uplifting voice within that locker room. And Boudreaux mentioned that again today. So... A lot of these things, a lot of the reasons they committed to Miller, I think are still there. He's just obviously not playing well to start the season. Free the skate, in hindsight, would you do that Rangers trade for Miller? The one that you had reported last year. Right. So, and I've mentioned this before, I, I got some pushback on, you know, um, that trade being necessarily offered to Vancouver. Now I heard from people with the Rangers that they were willing to go there and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of comes down to, but essentially the question is, could you get, could, could you have gotten Lindquist and a first? Yeah. I said I wouldn't make the trade then. Then I'm saying again now, five games into the season, I wouldn't make that trade. It's five games into the season. I don't like what I'm seeing from JT. He's got to be better. But come on, are we are we punting our opinions after five games? Yeah, it's five games. And again, it hasn't been good. We've been critical. Got to be better, but. Come on, if, I, if I'm changing my opinion on a player after five games, am I really doing my job properly here? I've changed all my opinions. <laughs> I, uh, you sucks now. I would have been in the camp of trading Miller. Uh, we talked about this when the signing was made and we did our emergency podcast. The way that this team is setting up for the future, the way the salary cap structure is looking, and the lack of assets they have within the organization... It just felt like an opportunity to move off the player and start to replenish that. Because at the end of the day, keeping Miller wasn't something that's going to take this team over the top. However, I thought they should have been able to get more than Lundqvist and a first. Um, Lundqvist looked good for Dallas so far. Doesn't mean it was a absolute should have done that type of move. Um I, I still wouldn't do that specific trade, but um, doesn't mean I wouldn't have traded Miller. All right. Uh, kind of talked about this. Canuckzilla, if the Canucks continue to spiral, will they trade Miller before the no-trade clause kicks in? Would be hard to find any takers. Yeah, I mean, could they? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Is there a reason why they didn't give him a no-trade clause retroactively when they asked? Yes. 
Doesn't mean it's likely, but could it happen? Yeah, I mean, all the answers are yes. It if leaves the door open. Yeah, if season the goes bad enough. Nuclear option. Yeah, if the season goes bad enough and JT plays well, but the team still plays poorly, and somebody's interested, okay, yeah. It's just, it doesn't seem like a likely scenario. Let me just put it that way. So if JT, uh, as we expect, you know, reverts to being JT again at some point here, um, and for whatever reason the Canucks are not in a playoff position and it's not looking great around the deadline and teams are calling about him, you know, I think you have to listen. All due respect to the situation. The, the thing about this is, and why I think it's interesting, is if you were to believe when the Canucks signed the contract that other teams would have been willing to give JT that contract or something more in free agency, and he's continuing to play at around a point-per-game pace by the time the deadline rolls around, there would be takers. Maybe not a ton of them, but there would be takers should JT be available. I just think we're thinking about the 1% chance that this may happen because it's such an unlikely scenario to eventually play out. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I mean, could it happen? Yes. Just seems very, very unlikely. Spencer, does this coaching staff have the ability to hold JT Miller accountable for his play so far? Does anybody? That's a big question. Have the the power. Wish I had the answer to that. Yeah. You know, because that's been my question as far as, you know, the accountability and the locker room dynamic goes. Do they have the right type of environment where every single person is being held accountable and that every single person can get called out by somebody? Yeah, you know, I'd imagine that Boudreaux isn't afraid of giving his opinion, and he'll talk to guys and tell them something. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a valid question, and it's one of those things where you don't really know unless somebody in the room really admits it, and usually those things don't come out. I uh, I, I just I, I wonder who that would be. Like, it just doesn't doesn't feel like Pedersen or Horvat would would be necessarily uh, at least the personality types but again it's impossible to know without being in that room when the doors are closed and those types of conversations are happening when when they're when they're having the players only meeting and JT Miller's been on for 90% of the goals against who's pointing that out to him uh, even today when he's like yeah I think my game's been pretty good like what are you watching uh, like you know like who's is, is somebody saying that to him like you weren't serious about that today were you JT because I don't. I don't know what, what. What? Well, I mean, okay. How are you feeling good when the numbers look this bad and you're on it's the true. ice for basically every single goal against? For sure. How are you playing well defensively? Yeah. I don't. Under, this doesn't compute for me. But also, let's be fair. What did he talk about the last couple of games? Yeah. And okay, the last couple and, of games. Okay. Yeah. Last again, couple of games. Defensively, he hasn't been as poor. Sure. Yeah. And listen, I'm not trying to say like it's just by putting everything in perspective. And I understand people want to jump down their throats, and he doesn't get the benefit of doubt right now and everything. But going back and watching the game, you want to blame him for the um, overtime? Oh man. Overtime. People. Thing? Okay. Sure. Listen. He's on the shit. ice for another goal against, but I like. Uh, yeah. Should he have really got the fault. puck out? Yeah. Maybe you should have. But considering it's a long change, unless you have possession of the puck, it doesn't matter. You can't get off from that situation. Hey, I didn't like the fact they have they had Besser out with them. I thought they had two guys not with no pace on there. I thought that was on Boudreaux. Should have McKay out there. If you had McKay out there, I bet you he would have been able to knock a puck loose somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that's the issue. Especially He's got to be better. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if you, and this also comes down to what are they telling these guys to do? Because sometimes we sit here and say, oh, this guy's making a mistake. Why is he in that spot? Well, if you're playing man to man defense and he's holding on to his guy 
and he's not moving because this guy's standing there. He's doing what he's being told to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I also wonder the last couple of games, are they doing the right thing system-wise? Like, I have a question about that defensively. Are they executing their yeah. system or is the system just maybe not <laughs> that great? And it's only like a five games in and we don't know exactly how the Canucks are going to continue to play and that's why we need a bigger sample. But they're playing a lot of man defense. And sometimes when people see the man defense, they don't they don't know it's man defense. They'll blame the wrong guy, like the Kuzmenko, like the goal against Columbus on the backdoor play. Yeah, it wasn't on JT. JT had his guy. It was on Kuzmenko who met, lost his guy man to man. And the, the Columbus Blue Jackets talked about Blankenberg talked about post game how Canucks play a very tight man to man. So we tried to get them knocked off a little bit. So I get the issues here too with this team is having, but I have some questions about. Are they asking these guys to do something they're not capable of doing defensively? Yeah, and, and it also comes down to just not executing. Like, if you're getting beat on the back door, um, no matter what defense you're playing, that's not great. And they've gotten beat on the back door multiple games in yeah. a row now. You know, and, and even yesterday, the first goal of the game, both defensemen converge into the corner to go out and go and chase the puck. It comes out. Horvat's not covering the front of the net. Um, you know, and you got another backdoor goal. How often is this going to happen before guys start to execute? Uh, yeah. No matter what, it's a bad look when you're getting beat backdoor. This one from Vikingstad. Was Rutherford and co. just giving the team the benefit of the doubt after the second half of last year, or are we looking at a Benning 2.0 type of head-in-the-sand approach that refuses to accept the hard way is the easy way, and the hard way being identifying three to four guys to keep and revamping for picks and cap? Yeah, I mean, I love that notion, revamp for picks and cap, 100%. But but who are you getting picks and cap for right now? The only guy you're trading is, is Horvat. It's Horvat. Horvat's the guy. You want to trade him? Half the people say don't trade him. You want to hold on to Bo. That's the guy. He's got sure. four goals in the first five games. You're trading Horvat? So, okay, then maybe one of those guys they should trade. And yeah. outside of that, with Besser and Garland and those guys, again, until they score, until they play well, they're not valuable assets at this point. They saw it last year. So... What they I, how are you trading Besser right now? He's got to play better. You know, like his own coach doesn't trust him to play in the final few minutes of a game, and he, you know, whittles his, down, his bench down to, to six players. Yeah, had him out in overtime, though, when they lost. That's true. But I get your point. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm there for it. And I think this management team, I don't think they have the same vision as Benning insofar as them believing to the death into the core and wanting to keep building on it. Yeah. I think there are things this team wants to do. And I mentioned this before. I think the Canucks had a deal or close to a deal with a player they couldn't end up moving because of the no trade clause. I don't know which player that was yet. Like yeah. I've been asking and I haven't got the answer. And I think they don't want that out because the player is still here. Yeah. But like I think there was something like that happened. So the point being, they tried. Even Rutherford himself said they tried to do things they couldn't do. So I think... They want to get picks and prospects. They want to move some stuff out. Now, how do you juxtapose that versus the moves they've made? Signing Mikhaev, you know, signing JT to an extension. Trading the second for Dickens. Exactly. To get rid of Dickinson. So those are the questions you want to have about what they've done so far. But I don't think it's necessarily about how much they believe in all the players in this core. I still think they want to do more and they haven't been able to do it. So no, I don't think it's bending 2.0. And, and if we, you know, just quickly reset the conversations we've had around this very subject, you know, why did they choose to re-sign Besser? Because they didn't find a trade that was anywhere near what you would expect to get out of a guy who's projected as a 60-plus point scorer Mm -hmm. and a guy you think could score 30 goals in this league. So the alternative was we either give him a contract or 
you let him go for free. They chose to give him a contract. Garland, you didn't love the offers that were coming through on Connor Garland, even when you know every insider around was saying that the Canucks were kind of mm-hmm. not shopping Connor Garland, but you know he was like, available. He was available, right? So it's not that again, Sat. They've been trying. This comes down to some of the contracts betting signed being very difficult to move. Mm-hmm. Fishing guy. Where would the Canucks be had they followed the Trevor Linden slow, patient build with picks or the Aquilini Benning build fast program? Two to three solid top four D men from draft ready to play now? Question mark. They are wasting years with EP Hughes and Demko. The well is dry, and they will be they will be subpar. 500 for another 10 years. The problem with this hypothetical is that you're imagining a world where the Canucks hit on every pick that they would have acquired, that they didn't mess up in the draft whatsoever. You know, that they magically, like for as many teams that have come out of it, Colorado, how long were they in the basement? Oh yeah. How long was Carolina in the basement for? For How long was Buffalo in the basement for? Edmonton. How many of these teams have gone through deep rebuilds and sucked for a very long time. When we envision the idea of a rebuild and the slow play, as as, uh, this texter puts it, you know, you're kind of looking at, and you're always thinking about the most optimistic endgame possible. Now, you know, you you had, uh, what, Pedersen at the time uh, in the organization. You, You had some, you know, you were kind of, losing anyways but you know, I, I just my problem with these sort of hy- hypotheticals is that you're always looking at the most optimistic sure. finish I will say this though I completely agree with the texture and I think that they should have done what Trevor Linden suggested at the time. That's not to say that that Trevor was right when he came in, because he very much believed in the retool on the fly. And after the first year they made the playoffs, Trevor was uh, very publicly saying how they felt justified in their approach, and they felt good and confident about how they're going about this retool on the fly, and it fell flat the next couple of years. But to his credit, he saw it, he realized it, and he figured what the best thing to do, even though they tried initially to turn it around quickly, was take a step back. And I don't think he was on board with signing Beagle and uh, Antoine Roussel. Yeah. Those two signings, and I know you can laugh at him, like, oh, those six million, whatever, whatever. But that was emblematic of what they were trying to do at the time. If you don't sign those guys, you don't go as aggressive when your team's not good enough yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have some extra assets in cap space. Maybe you have a couple extra draft picks here and oh, there. They, Maybe they, you move somebody out. So, so I think rebuilding completely was never what Trevor said, but his idea was we got to take it easy for a couple of years, not keep throwing money at the problem, yeah. and we'll get better. That's what they should have done. But once they committed to being that team that was going to be in, why did they stop after the bubble season then? Why did the ambition change? Yeah. Sure, you can blame the pandemic financially and all that sort of stuff, but that's where the, with bleeding, that's where they decided to bleed it all, all out. They stopped their ambition, lost important players, and I wasn't for keeping all of those guys, but I was for adding somebody else and using the opportunity to get better and the Canucks didn't. Yeah. So once that happened, you change your plan again and you got aggressive again. So they should have committed to one avenue and they didn't. Well, as the chairman said on this show, if you're going to blame anybody for that bubble season, uh, you, you blame me. Yeah, that's the one you're saying. And <laughs> he, said it, he said it in his own words with us. Um, but yeah, you should have listened to Trevor is the point. The, the slow play, like, again, I just want to get across. We always look at the most optimistic endgame so when the question says where would the Canucks be I mean 
I, I can already tell by the tone of your question, you think that the Canucks would be in a very good position. They'd have all yeah. these great prospects, and, and, and they would have done all these great things with the flexibility that they would have had. I get it. I, I'm just saying the execution of what you do with that flexibility is always the hardest part of the build. Sure, but if you have flexibility, you're more likely to have success than not having flexibility. That is also true. So, like, how do you create flexibility, essentially? Yes. And you can't do it by signing a bunch of free agents into their 30s. I, I mean, there's no argument for, you know, what actually happened was the best yeah. way to go, right? No, that, that, that's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Dominique, how much would the rumored cap increase of 4-ish million next season realistically help the team? Not significantly. I mean, we're talking about the $1 million they opened up by moving Dickinson, essentially, giving them a little extra flexibility. They're, they're staring at a situation where they could be $21 million. They could have $21 million in cap space this, this summer if that happens. Yeah. You have they, $21 million in cap space with 16 players signed. They could keep Bo and potentially still have some left over. Keep Bo. You want to keep Kuzmenko, you could do that if you wanted to, and you still have enough money to pursue a defenseman. So it's significant. And that is if you want to keep Bo. If you don't want to keep Bo, then you have even more to your disposal to what you want to do. Uh, Thunder Road, several questions about Rathbone, but this is one of them. What is keeping them from giving him some playing time? Well, so according far. to Boudreaux, he was just waiting for the home opener. He just wanted to be cozy at home? Yeah, I guess so. Trust. That's one word, trust. Big trust. Big trust. Woo, woo. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> easy, Mark Ingram. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean... Okay, so the injury happens to Riley Stillman. Hope he's he's going to be all right. Never like to see a guy get injured, but I I mean I, I just I, I don't know what you would have like you would have trusted Rathbone less than than you've been trusting Riley Stillman. Why? Like wh what did he show in the games he played that? was keeping Jack Rathbone out of the line. Yeah, well, after I, just, watching, I just didn't get it. After watching Stillman last game, I was like, I'm good. And he got injured, obviously. But Stillman was acquired after trade. Yeah. Veteran defenseman. You're playing the guy you just acquired after trade, right? Um, but I just... like Four the, guys had to get hurt for Jack Rathbone to get into the lineup. Well, the Juleson one was the one that really got me. Yeah. You you bring Juleson up, you play him over Rathbone. And then been he ends here. up getting benched in the game. Yeah, and he's the right side, and he makes a big mistake in the game that's costly as well. And it's like, I, I get you want to have right lead, righty-lefty, but now you're bringing somebody else up who's not even that good, didn't make your team, and he's playing ahead of the guy who should have played, and he was worse than the guy who should have played. It, it's a tough one. All right, we have time for a couple more. This one from Penn. How much harder is your job when the Canucks are per perpetually in the dumps? <laughs> um... It, it is, I'll be honest, it's a little bit more, um, <laughs> it's not as fun as it can be. No. Like, do you think I like to come here to work and just spew negativity all day? No, I want to be happy about things. So. I would say the most fun I've had working here was when they were in the bubble. When they were winning? When they were winning games. Yeah. When Bo Horvat scored 10 goals in those those magical playoff games yes the magical playoff run the we're bubble. doing post games to like 2 a.m dude I, I i was on air for like air for at 10 to 11 hours yeah those days trust me that's more fun when they're winning like think about last year and peek behind the curtain a little bit you know it's december and they are where they are and you're like man are we going to be doing draft previews in january already for this team and they go on the run, and 
they made the playoffs at least a conversation up until the final week of the season. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. Like, at the end of the day, like, I want there to come a point where we're not always so fixated on the big picture of the organization, which is always going to be a part of the conversation. But I also like to be able to focus on this is a big game tonight. Let's really break it down. Yeah. Oh, hey, listen, all you want to do is be able to break all the games down and make each game a massive event. And we still do that because we talk about yes. the game so much and break it all down on the post-game show. But we can't lie to you when a game is big and when it's not. No, you know? but it's also at a point now where it's like it's desperation mode already. Yeah. Fun. Uh, Discount Dracula. We'll end with this one. Pick one variety of snack food you cannot give up. Sugar or yeah, sugary or salty? Probably salty. Oh, this is a tough one. You gotta go salty. I like chips, popcorn. See, I would lean more like most of the snacks I'd like are sweet, but also if I had to like have a snack that I was gonna continuously go to, it would probably be a salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's like there comes a point where the sugary snacks are just too much, right? Like I love to have a chocolate bar, but how many chocolate bars am I eating? Uh, when it comes to a salty snack, like I'll, I'd prefer that more often than the sugary snack. So give me the regular chips. Give me, give me the popcorn. Yeah. Regular yeah. chips, lightly salted Lay's happens to be very nice. It's so boring. So original boring. chips are quite good from <laughs> you know Miss Vicky's. I like original chips sometimes, I will say. Not all the time. They, they're like, they can't be your favorite. I know we've gone <laughs> over this, but whatever. How are they not a favorite? They're just a, They are just, the chip in its truest form. They just are. It's like Tanner Pearson is no one's favorite player, <laughs> but he's fine. Poor Tanner Pearson. Well, he hasn't been good to start the season. So. <laughs> yeah. Neither have original chips. <laughs> I, I do quite like how the British call them crisps. Crisps. I don't know why. It's just, I don't know. It's a crisp, not a chip. Crisp. Uh, uh, what do they call fries chips? Yeah, we they, do. They so I will say chips. there's one more to go along with this. What's the best Halloween chocolate bar? Oh. Wonder Bar? I'm that's a, a, that's bar a sneaky pick. That's a good one. Wonder Bar? That's a good one. Big Wonder Bar. I'm a guy. big coffee crisp guy. I, I, I was going to say coffee crisp. Probably You'd coffee think crisp. I'd like cro- coffee crisp, but no. No, you don't? It's too much coffee. Too much coffee. Can't do it. Could you give out like little jars of Nutella? Nutella. Uh, like at the hotel I had in Italy, they would like they, the breakfast buffet had these just little jars of Nutella. Not going to lie, I stole a few. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not really stealing if they're free, though, right? Hey, it's not st- hey, if it's free, it's for me, right? Yeah. yeah. If you feel a little guilty while doing it, though, <laughs> yeah, it's probably, it might be bad. Might be. If you're feeling guilty, then you might be. So I took an extra one to bring to bring home with me. Yeah. You know, they're, they're <laughs> just little jars. You're a thief, you. is what you're saying. I'm we convinced. Have it here. I'm convinced the Nutella tastes better in Italy. I don't know. So when you brought it back, did you eat it here? Yeah, it's cre- it? it's creamier. It's great. Oh, okay. Anyways, you know, like sometimes. Uh, anyways, <laughs> enough Nutella uh, on the show today. Uh, that's the mailbag. We do it every Friday here on Canuck Central. Always appreciate you sending in your questions and making this one of our most downloaded shows each and every week. We'll do it again next Friday. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah on Canuck Central.